Thank you, everybody. Thank you. It's 2010, and then-President Barack Obama has just signed a bill that will go down as one of his signature achievements, a change to health care that attempted to fill in coverage gaps for low-income Americans. Officially called the Affordable Care Act, you may know it better as Obamacare. It created the Affordable Insurance Exchange, put further emphasis on preventative care, created an individual mandate to purchase health insurance, and prevented health insurance companies from denying coverage for pre-existing conditions. It also allowed states to expand Medicaid, with nearly all of the funding coming from the federal government. While the health law was praised by many Democrats across the country, it was extremely unpopular in states like Oklahoma, where a majority of the electorate disapproved of the president and Republican lawmakers had cast Obama as the cause of nearly every problem imaginable. It does not benefit Oklahoma taxpayers to actively support or fund a new government program that will ultimately be under the control of the federal government. That's former Governor Mary Fallon, who refused to accept Medicaid expansion dollars for Oklahoma, even though the state had one of the highest uninsured rates in the nation. When running for re-election in 2014, Fallon said Oklahoma would continue to push back on Washington by rejecting Obamacare. So when Washington gets in the way, Oklahomans push back. Fallon said accepting the money would give the Obama administration too much control over Oklahoma and that the state could be left holding the bag for the funding. She also disputed the need, claiming the number of uninsured was much lower than what had been reported. Well, first of all, the number of uninsured people in America is still under question. There's been different estimates that the number may be much less than the 47 million that has been given out. No doubt, Fallon peddled a position held by many Oklahomans who were skeptical of anything supported by President Obama. But fast forward to 2019, and more than 300,000 Oklahomans signed a petition requesting that a Medicaid expansion question be put to voters across the state. One box at a time, advocates for Medicaid expansion dropping off 313,000 signatures to the Secretary of State's office. It sends a message loud and clear um, to those folks who've tried to block us at every turn. After surviving a legal challenge and finally receiving a date from now Governor Kevin Stitt, State Question 802 will go before Oklahoma voters on June 30th. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and on this week's episode of Listen Frontier, we take a closer look at why some believe an anti-Obamacare state like Oklahoma may be likely to approve Medicaid expansion next month, and what that campaign may look like as Oklahoma continues to deal with a global pandemic. Before we continue with this week's episode, I want to say thanks for listening and invite you to do one of three things. First, if you enjoy the Frontiers podcasts, which include Listen Frontier and COVID-19 in Oklahoma, 
I'd ask you to leave a rating and share an episode on social media. Our listens are going up each week, and you telling your friends and family about us goes a long way. Second, check out our work at readfrontier.org. Our team of reporters across the state are producing some incredible journalism. And if you want to read everything when it's published, go ahead and sign up for the Frontier's weekly email newsletter. Finally, if you're a fan of the Frontier and the type of journalism we do, I'd invite you to consider making a donation. We are a nonprofit news organization that relies on the support of readers like you. Even a few bucks a month goes a long way in sustaining our work. Thanks again for listening. Amber England is the campaign manager for Yes on 802, the organization pushing for Medicaid expansion. She's been on the front lines of this fight since the beginning, when signatures were first being collected across the state to put the issue on the ballot. I spoke with her this week about that effort and what the campaign will look like in the final weeks, especially as the coronavirus pandemic continues to alter daily life. It's been a really interesting transition for the campaign. You know, we set out all along to really make this a a true grassroots movement um, for the people, by the people. And, And so we've included those grassroots supporters all along the way from volunteer signature collection to just before um, COVID happened, we were in the middle of a 30, 30 events in 30 days push, and we'd gotten to about 15 of those. And so then we had to quickly shift to online campaigning. And so we would do these weekly hap- uh, healthcare happy hours online, telephone town halls. And we are, you know, we just keep seeing the numbers of people who are engaging with this issue continue to be strong. And, and so that's been really fun, but I would, um, I wouldn't be lying to say it's been an adjustment to figure out how to run a campaign um, when we can't do, you know, traditional door knocking, traditional field programs. And we're having to shift all that online and do phone banking and and finding unique ways to connect with voters at home. Um, It's been a challenge and a learning process, but I am a learner by nature. And so I've, I've really enjoyed it. But I think what has been so inspiring to me are the folks who continue to stay engaged in the campaign, regardless of what's going on and with this pandemic. So, so what do the final weeks of this campaign look like for you guys? Um, I know, you know, businesses and are starting to reopen. So there's a little bit more public space available, but we're still in this kind of, uh, you know, we're still in a, in a kind of a constraining time in terms of, you know, what your abilities are to do, whether it's canvassing or holding rallies. So, so what do you feel like uh, the months of May and June are going to look like for you guys on the home stretch? Well, we're going to obviously continue to practice those safe uh, social distancing and go by the CDC guidelines, but we're just going to continue to talk to voters in whatever way um, that we can get in front of them, whether that's in the mailbox, on television, um, online, whatever way that we can connect with voters to let them know that A, there's an election on June 30th that they need to care about, um, or B, just talking to them about the value of bringing home over a billion dollars of our taxpayer money from Washington, D.C. every year that's right now going to states like Kentucky and Idaho and California. And even though like I, you know, eat, eat, sleep and breathe this every single day, a lot of Oklahomans haven't really, you know, they they don't know, maybe they don't know necessarily that there is an election on June 30th that that Medicaid expansion might be on the balance. I think that's our first and foremost importance um, into the campaign is letting people know that this is on the ballot on June 30th and the reasons why they should go vote to support it.
So I gave you a brief history at the top of this episode of how we got here, how Oklahoma, once a state that seemed like the last thing it would do would be to approve Medicaid expansion, now maybe on the doorstep of doing so. Now, we've heard a little bit from the campaign, and we're going to go back to some who were involved in that movement. But let's pause and revisit the policy of this a little bit closer. And to do that, I'm calling on my colleague at the frontier, Cassie McClung, who's kind of our expert in all things healthcare. So, Cassie, as a healthcare reporter, I mean, Medicaid expansion would normally be, you know, right at the top of your list of something to cover right now. Of course, there's something else going on, the pandemic. That's got a lot of your attention. But I do appreciate you pausing on your COVID-19 coverage for just a moment to talk to us about this, uh, you know, important vote that's coming up in less than two months. No problem. Happy to do it. Yeah, it's, it's a big vote. It's an important issue. So, you know, I'm glad to take the opportunity to talk about it. So in the intro to this episode, I kind of gave a brief history of how we got here. I mean, Oklahoma was a state, like a lot of other conservative states, that was just incredibly resistant to expanding Medicaid. But we have mm-hmm. seen so-called red states now, by voter approval, past Medicaid expansion initiatives. So it won't be a shock if Oklahoma becomes another one of those states next month. It'll be falling in line with a lot of other similar states. But if it does pass, and I think some people feel like it's got a really good chance of passing, if it does pass, why? Why would it be different now than, than, than where we were you know, just 12 years ago, 10 years ago? Oklahoma is one of 14 states that haven't expanded Medicaid yet. And we're second in the nation for having the highest uninsured rate. So that's something, you know, important to keep in mind, obviously. But it's just, it's, I feel like healthcare coverage in general has started to become a nonpartisan issue a little bit. And how we get to that expansion is still quite partisan. But the issue as whole, of whole, I think, of people being uninsured, um, having poor health outcomes, you know, that being detrimental to states in the long run, I think has kind of come to the forefront. So let's talk about Sooner Care 2.0, because this is the plan that's being proposed by Governor Kevin Stitt as an alternative to state question 802. And Governor Stitt is against Medicaid expansion that'll be on the ballot next month. Since he was elected last year while he was campaigning for the office, he said that he was against Medicaid expansion. And if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, it's likely that Stitt would be drawing a lot more attention to his plan, working with the legislature to approve it, maybe even traveling across the state uh, to try to drum up support. So it's somewhat understandable why he hasn't given it a lot of attention. But even mm-hmm. before the pandemic, when when he announced his plan earlier this year, he didn't do it with a lot of, I guess, enthusiasm, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it almost sounded like he was offer. He knew he had to offer something if he was going to say he was against it. And this is what he was doing. Not to say he doesn't believe in the plan, but we haven't even seen like this really organized opposition yet, or at least not from the governor who, you know, the highest official in the state who says that he's going to be voting against this as a citizen. Right, right. And a lot of opponents of the governor's Sooner Care 2.0 plan have called for the whole process of implementing the plan to be put off until the pandemic is over because they do think it affects the public comment period of, you know, people getting their concerns out there, their thoughts. But it, you know, I think with the pandemic, it has kind of taken a backseat. And even before that, the governor hasn't been super vocal on it, you know, unless a reporter might ask him about it for a story or whatnot. But, and I I have a feeling, you know, with the budget being passed, um, or at least approved, we haven't seen him sign it yet, um, that 
we might start hearing more about that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the confusion, again, between the Sooner Care 2.0 and the um, state question on the ballot next month and how those two are going to coexist. Yeah. Okay. So we've mentioned Sooner Care 2.0 a few times. Briefly, so what is it? What is the governor's proposal? Yeah. So the plan is being called Sooner Care 2.0. It allows for much more flexibility for the state over the Medicaid program than a traditional expansion would. So I'll give you a quick rundown. Um, the plan would expand Medicaid eligibility. So the state question and the Sooner Care 2.0, they're pretty similar um, as far as initial implementation goes, but it kind of ends after that. So the plan would expand Medicaid eligibility for plan, uh, for people ages 18 to 64 who earn up to 130% of the federal poverty level. So in other words, someone with an annual income of up to about $17,000 or um, a family of four that earns about $35,000 annually. So, and I mentioned the flexibility of the plan. So the administration wants to modify it over the next year or so to include work requirements and other measures. And the state is also looking to get a waiver that uses a block grant funding um, deal for low-income Oklahomans that would set cap caps on cost. And for those who don't know, block grants allow states to opt out of federal funding plans and instead seek a fixed payment each year in exchange for that flexibility I was talking about earlier. So it really the governor's plan would give the legislature and the governor so much more control over the program than uh, the state question would. Yeah. And so I guess if you're an Oklahoman trying to consider which plan you like better, I mean, Sooner Care 2.0 is not, not going to be on the ballot, but uh, a big part of this will be how much do you trust the legislature and the governor uh, to, uh, to drive health care policy and funding? Right, exactly. And even if this plan does get approved, if the state, if voters approve state question um, in June, it, it will really throw a wrench in the implementation of Sooner Care 2.0 because the state question would put the Medicaid expansion into the state constitution. So the governor and the legislature couldn't make changes to it without approval from voters. But this is also drawing some support from some major healthcare and medical organizations across the state, right? Right, right. And part of that reason is, like I mentioned earlier, um, opponents of Governor Sitt's plan have said that it would limit more, I guess, how many people would be covered under the plan with the work requirements and other measures the legislature and the state might set out to put on the um, Sooner Care plan. So, like I said earlier, state question 802, it puts it into the state's constitution. So it's harder to put requirements and other limitations on Medicaid expansion. So some people have also said that if this governor's plan does pass, they've already been threatening litigation. So it, there are some proponents out there who think it would limit Medicaid expansion for more people. Yeah. Well, we're not pollsters. And I got to be honest with you, I haven't spent much time talking to any uh, and I say that there is a lot of thought that this is likely to pass or has a good chance of passing. And I don't know if that's just mm -hmm. because it has a shot. We are giving it a little bit more of a of a success rate in our minds because of where we used to be as a state 10 years ago. But I'll ask you what I mean, what's your what's your gut say? I mean, are, are you seeing support along this uh, of this along partisan lines? Uh, I mean, it's going to have to take some Republican voters voting in, in favor of this. 
Is this something that you think is, is truly is likely to be passed by voters next month? Yeah, I, I think so. I think over the, especially the last year, there has been growing nonpartisan support for expanded health care because, you know, everyone needs health coverage. I mean, health is something that affects everyone. Everyone gets sick, you know, might need health care, go to the hospital. So it's a concern for everyone not having insurance. And I think it'll be interesting to see if Sooner Care 2.0 does get approved. We might be hearing more on that this week how people view the Medicaid expansion state question next month. I mean, will they be more unlikely to vote for it and, you know, be more interested in the governor's plan and, you know, letting them have more control over the program? Or they will they be more interested in getting that, you know, expansion into the state constitution? So I guess around that, I haven't heard a lot of discussion around, you know, who, how they want Medicaid to be expanded, but, from what I've heard anecdotally, people do want Medicaid expansion in Oklahoma. Yeah. And, you know, over the last few years, we've seen voters uh, approve some criminal justice reform, sentencing reform measures. Uh, we saw medical marijuana approved by voters. And so I guess next month we may see another vote that kind of runs a little bit contrarian to what Oklahoma's political image has been as of late. Uh, so definitely will be interesting to watch. Well, Cassie, we couldn't talk about this topic without uh, bringing you on for a few minutes. So thanks for sharing your insight. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So earlier in the episode, Amber England with State Question 802 described this as a grassroots campaign. And in many ways it is. But it's also a pretty organized campaign, and it includes some help with some national organizations who have achieved this work in other states. And that includes the Ballot Initiative Strategy Organization, which has worked in other conservative states that have recently passed Medicaid expansion. My name is Chris Maldi Fields Figueredo. I'm the executive director of the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center based in Washington, D.C., I spoke with Chris about her organization's work here in Oklahoma and her perspective at the national level, looking at this effort in other states and why she thinks Oklahoma is likely to approve its own Medicaid expansion initiative. Well, I think one of the most remarkable things about um, question 802 is the fact that it had a record-breaking number of signatures, of, so, and that really shows the grassroots support um, for Medicaid expansion um, in, in, in Oklahoma. And we've seen this trend um, over the last several years. Three um, pretty conservative states in 2018 passed Medicaid expansion, Idaho, Utah, um, and, and Nebraska. And we've seen uh, this also has happened uh, in Maine as well. So this is part of a growing trend across the country. Um, and it really tells you that the voters want more access to health care um, and they want um, to reduce the cost of, of health insurance and certainly with COVID-19 and the, having a, a global pandemic, access to health care is a really critical um, issue to voters right now. Yeah, you, you mentioned the pandemic uh, and you guys have been involved in a lot of campaigns, but I'm guessing never during a global pandemic like this. Um, Not to my memory. Yeah. yeah. So what, uh, <laughs> what has that shift been like? I mean, how, how, does, how has the campaign changed 
as we are less than a couple months away from election day, but yet uh, in, in this kind of very different time. Yeah, I mean, right now is um, a really critical period for a lot of ballot measure campaigns across the country, and that's signature gathering. I mean, thankfully, Oklahoma, they were able to collect enough signatures last fall, you know, for a lot of campaigns because we're in such a critical signature gathering period. Um, whether they will make it to, to the ballot in 2020 is a really big question right now. So folks are seeking different options um, to ensure that ballot measures can make it to the ballot this year. Asking, you know, governors or state secretary of states to lower the signature threshold because they can't currently conduct in-person petition drives. Um, things like extending the ballot, uh, the, the deadline. I, uh, I know in Oklahoma that the, the governor put a pause for the 90-day period for ballot measures and would restart that um, once the stay-at-home order was lifted. Um, other things like mailing in those signatures or in some states on a temporary basis, they filed um, court cases to seek relief on electronic signatures. That's happened in Arizona. Um, it actually, uh, they prevailed in Massachusetts and they're also per, uh, pursuing options in Montana and Ohio. Yeah, you know, up until recently, there we we didn't know when the when the election was going to be whether it be June or November. Mm-hmm. Uh, from from your guys' perspective, did you feel like one of those dates was more desirable than the other? I mean, any opportunity to put an issue like Medicaid expansion um, before voters is a really critical opportunity, and we know that issues like this are really critical um, for um, for voters. And I think, regardless of whether it was in June or in the fall, you know. At least in this moment right now, because of the health crisis that we are in, this is a really critical issue. Um, and because this is such a, so front of mind of voters right now, um, I think that, you know, it'll be um, su- successful um, in June as well. So, so you believe that the, that the coronavirus has kind of put a, a new lens on how people are, are viewing this, this issue right now? I absolutely think that a number of issues from paid um uh, paid leave to improving our um, access to voting to health um, issues to ensuring that our schools are properly funded. Um, all of these issues are have really, you know, the the inequities that we've seen because of COVID nineteen have really been um, exposed uh, to another level, and people are really feeling it um, in their day to day lives. And you know, they want action on these issues. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, with so many state legislatures being suspended right now, um, you know, that, that a lot of legislation that was um, moving forward um, isn't, doesn't have that opportunity. But regardless of whether state legislatures are in session, we've seen this for the last several y- years. Um, issues like Medicaid expansion are winning at the ballot because voters know what it means when you don't have access to health insurance. And if anything, COVID-19 has just made it a much, folks, much more hyper aware of the inequities that we see in a number um, of this, uh, a number of issue areas. Yeah. In some detail, how, how would you explain what the, what's at stake here? I mean, what do you feel like uh, approval of this state question would mean for Oklahomans, whether it's those that are, you know, uh, struggling to access health insurance or even those who have it and, and for maybe uh, health care isn't necessarily a top of mind issue for them. 
it's not, I mean, Medicaid expansion is not only about 200,000 Oklahomans and getting access to health, uh, health insurance in the state. It's also about bringing really important federal funding to the state it's, uh, as well, nearly a, a billion dollars. And that, you know, that is money into the economy that is incredibly necessary right now. Um, we are seeing the impact with the unemployment rates, with folks un being unable to work. Anything that is going to stimulate the economy uh, in Oklahoma is actually going to cre create opportunities and open the doors for a lot of Oklahomans. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Listen Frontier. I'd invite you to check back with readfrontier.org for more coverage on State Question 802 as we get closer to the campaign, including a closer look at the State Question's opposition and Governor Kevin Stitt's alternative plan. You can listen to each episode of Listen Frontier by subscribing to the Listen Frontier feed. That same feed will also include episodes of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, the Frontier's weekly podcast taking a closer look at the coronavirus and its impact on our state. This episode was recorded from Oklahoma City and included audio from KOCO and Fox News. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week for another episode of Listen Frontier.